remember when I talked to you on the phone, gosh, this has been two years now. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me because you were at that point, <laughs> I think even then talking about doing something like this and really it just, I was just loving talking with you about preaching because you were a kindred spirit because you yeah. really were passionate about it. And uh, so anyway, that's great, man. I love that you're doing this. Well, welcome to Preacher Lab for preachers just like you and I. And today I get to talk with Charlie Reeb, who is a senior pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church. It's a church in northeast of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Charlie, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, man. I love that uh, you're doing this, and I, I'm honored and appreciate being a part of it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me where you're preaching on this week. Where are you headed? Where are you going? Well, this week, I'm actually preaching on the Holy Spirit, uh, and, it, and when it was prompted by some questions that I got from parishioners uh, over the last, well, not just over the last few months, but probably over the last couple of years, uh, because folks felt that that's one area of the Trinity that's been neglected in the mainline church and, and maybe in our denomination, but particularly our church. People want to know more about it, and more specifically, they've asked questions like, well, how do you know when the Spirit is guiding you or leading you, or how do you know when the when, when it's the Spirit talking to you and not your own voice and those kinds of things? So um, I'm, a, I'm going to address some of those questions this week. Uh, I usually have one guiding text for my sermons, but this week it's a little different because... Uh, I'm, I'm taking a few passages of scriptures on this Holy Spirit and uh, basing a message around that, which is usually not the norm, but I think for my purposes, it's it's effective and helpful, I hope. Yeah. So did you, did you have this planned out like three months ago, or was this a question that you came up with two weeks ago? Yeah. In terms of my sermon planning, I my normal routine over the last 20 25 years of ministry is I usually would plan three months ahead. I'm not one of those preachers that goes off into a mountain for a month and has sermons planned for a year. That's just not how I operate. Again, I think those who do it, I respect them, their process and everybody has their own process. Uh, for me, if I did that, you know, I would look at a sermon that I, I thought, seemed like a good idea nine months ago and then look at it the week of and go what the heck was I thinking that doesn't feel right so I'm one that needs to stay more in the moment so two or three months max is when I plan things out um, what's been interesting lately however is because I'm the editor of the Abingdon preaching annual I've been preaching I've never really been a strict lectionary preacher most of my ministry it's been topical or based upon a book of the Bible. But because since I started being the general editor for it, I, I said to myself, well, Charlie, how can you have any integrity being the editor of that resource if you are not also preaching the lectionary mm. for a little while? And so I started to, to do that, uh, I guess, maybe a year ago, just to experience more of what it's like to be an electionary preacher. Now I'll go back to topical and maybe do a hybrid in the future, but I felt that it was a good experiment and a good uh, project for my preaching uh, since I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm editing that, that resource. 
So, but so the re, so you know because of that, lectionary text as we know are already planned and already set. So that that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, for this sermon though, what's interesting about it is it's not based on the lectionary text this week. Mm-hmm. And so it's one that I planned, I think maybe a month ago. Um, and, you know, I was going, thinking through Advent. And maybe that was during the time. And I thought, well, I know folks have asked questions about it. So mm-hmm. in the new year, I'll, I'll preach on this. So, so what, how, how have you seen a difference in preaching the lectionary versus topical things? That seems like it's a, that's a big shift of you have these yeah, four ideas no. about something. It's a great question. And honestly, Maybe because it's new and there's some novelty to it, I've I've really really enjoyed it, and I appreciate those diehard lectionary fans who've said throughout the years, you know, this is the only way to preach. You must begin with the text. You shouldn't begin with an idea. The proper way to preach is to begin with the text, uh, and so now I appreciate that even more. To, to have the text in front of me and to wrestle with it, to struggle with it. Not that I didn't do that with texts before, but it's a more pure experience mm-hmm. when you know that's the text that you've decided on. That's the text you're going to preach. And so it has broadened my preaching. It has stretched my preaching. It actually has, um, I've always had a varied approach when it comes to sermon form and structure although there are a couple of three that i hang my hat on but it actually has helped me vary my form and structure i've preached more inductively like fred craddock by using the lectionary uh, and i've enjoyed that too so although i did preach inductively before i think i've preached more inductively since using the lectionary than i have in the past um and so Again, that's just part of my repertoire. I won't, I don't preach inductively exclusively or all the time, but it's something that I've done a little bit more because of the lectionary. Just because you begin with the text and you begin asking questions, leading questions. And so the process of looking at a text without, with basically a, a blank slate, if you will, although it's not entirely true as humans, it, it lends itself to the process of preaching more inductively. Um, so, so yeah, I would, I would say that that's, that's one of the big differences and changes and again, something that, that I've enjoyed. So, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, when you're preaching series, you kind of have these ideas in your head of, I want to preach a series on, I don't know, uh, discipleship or something. You want to talk about these four ideas and you kind of have a general idea, like the canvas has an outline and you get to right. fill it in with what scripture passage and things like that. And for this, per- when you do follow a lectionary, you just have text, and that is your outline. So how right. do you how do you go about planning? Because it's, I think you can plan more if you're doing a series. I think because you kind of okay, these four weeks are this, this four weeks are this. But how do you go about planning when you're when you've been following lectionary for the year? Because it seems like it's, no. it's a little harder. Uh, it absolutely is um, because when I preach more topical, planning was much easier. You know, I'm going to do a series on you know, a series on the capital punishment and a series on abortion, you know, all the controversial things yeah. like Adam Hamilton does. And, and I'm going to do a series on, uh, 
on tough questions of the faith. And, you know, mm-hmm. just an example. So you, you have that template, as you said, of each question you're going to address and ideas that you have and more questions you want to answer and stories you want to use. And so planning is easier. So with lectionary, I mean, I've seen preachers do it well. Well, they're, they're following the lectionary and they get a general theme um, six months ahead of time and they'll have a title and a theme around it. Um, that's one way. But for me, it's actually been the exact opposite. Although I will pick the text ahead of time, two or three months ahead, whether it would be the gospel text or the Old Testament text or the epistle or what have you. And I'll get a general idea of what, what the text is saying and jot down some notes ahead of time. But I, other than that, I don't do much planning um, other than the week of, I'm looking at the text like on Monday, I, I'm looking at the text that's that's coming up for the week and I start reflecting and reading and praying on it. And I look at the notes that maybe I wrote two or three months ago, which aren't a lot. And so I basically, for lack of a better phrase, I'm going, I'm going week to week mm-hmm. and, um, and which is not the way I normally preach over the years. Riley Short, who was my mentor, I was his associate for four years at First Lakeland. He preached that way. He would start from zero every week with the lectionary text. And, and so it's been very different. At the very beginning, it was kind of nerve wracking because um, I was so used to planning ahead and having a topic. But I also enjoyed it because I had the text open. And um, again, no one really has a blank slate, but that's how it felt. Yeah. Looking at the text, like, okay, what what is God trying to say through the text? I don't, I'm not putting in any preconceived ideas to the text based upon a topic. Uh, let's see where this text is leading me. Yeah. And so because Sunday is coming and it's very, it's it, it's you know, it's it's urgent, it's it's relevant, it's now, it affects the process. And it's even though at times it's nerve-wracking, it is enjoyable. So I would say right now I'm doing the exact opposite of what I'm normally doing in my ministry. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, I'll probably go back to it, but way I used to do it, and maybe do a hybrid. Uh, but for now, um, I'm just seeing where it takes me, and uh, I've enjoyed it. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you. I mean, ironically, we're talking about Holy Spirit, but you've kind of let the Holy Spirit kind of move in these weekly it's almost like weekly, you're almost your weekly discipleship of as you write this sermon, this is what God's speaking to you. Um, and it's not, it's not as outlined as a, ser- a sermon series, but it's just the week of here's the text. What is God saying? What is Holy Spirit? Moving? Absolutely. And, and of course, you know, the, 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 the radical or not the radical, but the real diehard lectionary fans would, would say, well, that's, that's the way you should always preach. And of course, when I preach topical, Yes, the Holy Spirit was guiding me, and and yes, I struggled with the text. But as you as you mentioned, because you always you have these topics in place and these questions you want to answer, there's there's less of a surprise and uh, an inductive process with it because you you know you know where you're you're headed ahead of time. This process is fun in the way that you don't you don't really know where you're going in the very beginning. And so you're beginning with the text and you're allowing the text to ask you questions as you ask it questions. And so it's fun to see 
this thing being birthed to Sunday and you're like, oh, that was an interesting process. So beginning with, okay, what does this mean in the text? Where am I headed? Um, and again, the classic inductive way of, of preaching. So, um, so that's been, that's yeah. been interesting. Oh. And I would say I'm, it's not an either or with me and I've written about this. Um, I think you can be, you can preach the lectionary at times and you can be a topical preacher at times, you know, you can preach a book of the Bible at times, and then you can go back to another topic. So I, I'm not a big fan of people who say you have to pick sides. I mm -hmm. think you can be both. And I, hopefully this experience has enriched me in my preaching and helped me be better. So, yeah, that's, 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 that's so interesting. That's just, cause it seems like it's so different for you. And that's just, oh yeah. Well, and honestly, it's, I would say that it, uh, it's probably renewed and rejuvenated my preaching. You know, I've been at this for 25 years. And so uh, as I think about it, Will, I think that uh, the spirit of God was involved in the process from me being the editor of that annual, which leading me to, okay, Charlie, start preaching the lectionary. And it's, uh, it's kept my preaching from becoming stale, at least for me. It's made it more interesting. It's given it a newness, a new approach, has helped uh, reimagine and, uh, and reignite my preaching. Yeah. So I think it's, it's been good for me yeah. because, you know, you can get into preaching ruts um, and it, you can feel stale after a while. So this change as I think jump started some things in me, which has been good. Yeah. So. Yeah. So when you, when you preach, when you preach, as you've preached for however many years, what, what do you think your preaching niche is or your thing? Like some people are really good orators. Some people are very creative. Some people are hand gesture people. What do you think is your <laughs> yeah. kind of niche or your thing? No, well, that is such a great, that is, I love that question. I really do. Um, and, and you, yeah, I think you sent me that question ahead of time. And that was one that stuck out to me. Like, how would I answer that? And I, I think where my gut tells me to go to answering that question is that, and, and it probably, it may not satisfy you as an answer and that's okay. You can keep pressing me on it. I'm fine with that. But I think my niche would be which I think should be all preachers niche, but my niche has, be, has been conviction. Mm. I think to me, the secret sauce of, of good preaching is conviction because a convicted preacher is a compelling preacher. And so uh, oftentimes when I, when I teach classes in preaching at Emory or do workshops, you know, people will ask me, well, how do I find my voice in preaching? Or um, how do I find the right delivery? And my answer to them which may sound uh, simplistic as well. The first step, which should cover a lot of that for you is find your place of conviction. Mm. What old preachers used to call the burden. So if you have this burden to preach this message and you're coming out of a place of conviction where you're on fire about it and you're passionate about it, you'll find your voice. You'll find how you're supposed to deliver it. I mean, that, that won't be a problem. Um, that, that will, that will come, that will come to you fairly easily. And so I often tell new students, you know, pay attention to how, how you're talking and what you're doing when you're talking about something you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. the, in, within that, maybe even if you can record yourself, you'll find a seed of what your voice is and also 
get a sense of, of your delivery. And so, again, yes, I, I believe in the mechanics of preaching and teaching it and the right delivery and the tone and the volume and the use of pause. I think all that's important and should be taught. But I think the first place to start uh, and learning all that is, is conviction and, and how you express yourself when you're convicted. And so I would say part of my niche, and maybe there's more, there's another answer to the question for me, but I'd say one of the answers to that is I've always been someone who, who is preaches from conviction. And um, I feel that people can sense when you're genuine about mm -hmm. what you're preaching about and, and know it, it means a lot to you and know you believe in it. And that comes through in my preaching. And so I, I don't know if that's a, the answer you're looking for, but that's, that's part of the answer for me with, with that question. Yeah. I mean, I think about like, if I've watched, so I, I recently just ended the Ozarks season four, I watched oh, yeah, it in like three right days. So. And yeah. I, I would tell you all about the Ozarks and about uh, the bird family and about Darlene and about why and I mean I can tell you about all these different characters and how good the show is despite the darkness despite the the weird stuff that happens of drugs and casinos but I mean there's just something about that show that I I, I want to share it with people because I'm like hey I watched this in three days and it was fantastic yes and, and even in my like you can probably tell in my voice that my voice is going higher and it's not something I plan to do it's just something I get exactly. excited about and I hear the same thing of when we're preaching, what is the thing that we're going to explode from the inside if we don't share? Um, right. And, and that's how, that's why I hear your conviction. Oh, yeah. And by the way, as an aside, Ozark is filmed all over the place in this area of, of Atlanta. I oh, went hey. to a barbecue restaurant where, you know, the, the scene where the, the, the sister has her last um, meal with her brother before <laughs> she has him killed. Yeah. That restaurant I eat at all the time. And the no booth way. that they sat at, there's a plaque at that booth, which I sat in actually a month ago, that says episode whatever, the name of the episode. Uh, and and when he was outside walking around looking for, her, that was all in the restaurant. So most of the Ozark is filmed right around me. So anyway, well, we can, I know I don't want to waste time in the podcast <laughs> talking about that, but, but she's like it. So but to get back to it, I remember a time when I was when I was teaching a class on preaching and there was this guy in my class who he was just a fun-loving person. He told jokes, he was very expressive and demonstrative. And then when he got up to preach, well, he was, you know, he, he would bore you to tears. <laughs> he did not deliver uh, his sermon, he didn't express himself like he normally did around his friends in class. And long story short, as I began to talk to him about it, he had this preconceived idea of how a preacher is supposed to sound. And so when he got up to preach, um, I kind of surprised him. Uh, I think it helped him in the end. I said, just put away your manuscript. And this is front of the class. And everybody was looking at me like going, what are you doing? I said, don't preach that right now. I said, um, tell me uh, about one of your hobbies and why you enjoy it so much. And he began to talk about uh, one of his hobbies was, was sailing. And, and he began to talk about sailing and the boat and, 
And I began, I kept asking questions about it and he just lit up. And I, and after he finished, I said, that's, that's the way you should talk. What you just did. That's the way you should preach. And it was like a light bulb went on for him. And it was a, a pivotal moment for him. I said, pay attention to what you were like when you were talking about that. And then when you get excited about what you're going to preach about, preach that way. Yeah. And so um, I let him preach the sermon again, I think the next week. Um, and I said, all right, prepare that sermon again, but think about that and the way you express it. So that's a good example of, I think, what yeah. I'm trying to drive at. Yeah. Do you have any, so. I think it, you use the word pivotal moment. Are there any pivotal moments in your preaching over the years that you're like, this this moment or this these these months really kind of changed shape molded how you preach now. Yeah, I, I would say. In fact, it kind of it continues this theme we're talking about. Um, when I was an associate at First Lakeland, I I, I had a, a preacher mentor father figure growing up here in Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta until I was fourteen. Um, and I grew up Baptist. It was more moderate Baptist theologically. His name was Bill Self, and he was a, a huge uh, preacher, pulpiteer back in the day. He died a few years ago, and I spoke at his funeral, but he was like a father to me, um, and he was the perfect combination of, of a passionate Baptist preacher who also had theological substance and intellectual substance. So, uh, I remember him calling me up one day and saying, you know, send me your stuff. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, send me your sermons. I want to hear some of your stuff. And this, of course, this is before, you know, links to sermons and all that. And so I reluctantly did. And I got a letter back from him. And I was like, oh, gosh, what is he going to say about my sermons? Because I was young and just starting out. And he said, Charlie, what you have to say is great. And I, I love your sermons and I appreciate what you say, but he said, I feel like you're, you're, um, what was the word he used? He says, I feel like you're holding something back. I'll never forget that. You're holding something back. I feel like when you're preaching there, there's something more that wants to get out, but you're taming it and you're let and, and you're suppressing it. I was like, that's interesting. And so I came to Atlanta and we had lunch and I said, well, tell me more about that. He said, Charlie, I can tell you got a lot of conviction, but you, you are, um, you are suppressing it. You need to let it fly. But he said, one of the purposes of worship, he says, the people come to hear the convictions of the preacher. He goes, yeah, you, you're a vessel of God and you need to be prayed up and grounded and, and, and you need to remember that and stay humble. But when it's, comes from a place of prayer and love people are coming to hear the convictions of the preacher and what they're passionate about and what they believe and so i totally began to change my approach and and i just i became i just was on fire and and i began to to change the way i expressed myself and got to that place that i'm talking about when i preach sermons and always made sure I began with a place of conviction and preached out of that. And that was a, that was a very pivotal moment in my preaching early, early on. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I think, and I, I told you this when we, before we started recording is 
I think one of your gifts is storytelling and the ways in which you use your voice. And I, and I think what undergirds that is that conviction mm -hmm. that you have, because you're trying to connect people to the story, connect people to where you're kind of the journey and the experience you've had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, thank you. When I think about storytelling for you, can, can you walk us, walk, maybe walk me through kind of how you develop the story, um, where you come up with the story, how much do you rehearse? Cause it seems like it's a, it's a central piece of kind of your preaching. Um, yeah, how do you yeah. kind of rehearse that and stuff? No, thank you. And when you say story, you mean the illustrations that I use, the examples, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to be captain obvious here, but clearly using stories and illustrations and preaching are paramount is critical and key because people think visually, you know? And so, uh, you know, we preachers are good at, at at talking about abstract concepts, but sometimes preachers are weak in making those abstract concepts concrete. And a story does that. An old line is, truth often rides on the back of a story. And so if someone can connect an idea with a story, an example, a metaphor, then it clicks, you know? And so as for someone to remember the sermon and remember the idea again this is most preachers know that that's why most parishioners remember the stories you tell and so that's why i think storytelling is 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 central to, to preaching so but having said that your question was you want me and i'm and i forget you want me to walk you through how I develop that story and where the stories come from. Yeah. It just, I mean, you use particulars really well and you have pause and like you have pauses yeah. built in. So it's, I, I know that you rehearse it a lot. I know you've written that yeah, in your book, yeah. but just kind of the process. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I was blessed with a great mom in many ways. Who is thank God still living. And actually she lives here in Georgia. And you know, I attribute some of that to my mother who was, uh, was an actress growing up. She she was in California and was offered a movie contract that her parents wouldn't allow her to, to sign when she was like 16 or 17. She was at Pasadena Playhouse. She was a, a really fine stage actress and who was planning on going into movies, but never did. And then she, and then later in life, she taught drama and public speaking. And so my mother, growing up, when I would ever have to memorize a poem for school or would have to give a presentation in school, I had the best coach in the world. So, so growing up, you know, I have to attribute some of that or a lot of that to my mother who taught me to the use of pause, the inflections of the voice, uh, giving enough concrete details in the story so people can really engage with it and feel themselves in it. Um, so I think, I think some of that is, is from my mother who taught me from a young age, those concepts of mechanics and those things. Um, but I also think that it also goes back to the conviction. Like when you're telling a story and it really means a lot to you. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of that stuff, and again, I don't mean to sound simplistic about it because I do think you need to rehearse but a lot of that stuff takes care of itself. Like when you're, yeah. when you're talking about someone that, that, that you love dearly who died and why they meant so much to you and you tell a story about them, you know, you, you don't have to think a lot about the mechanics of, of some of that, 
that emotion coming through. Having said that, yes, I rehearse. I think um, the one of the, I don't know if she still does this, but one of the TED Talks um, that oversees the the people who give TED Talks and and helps them prepare for the TED Talks. I forget her name, but anyway, I watched an interview of her and she said, the biggest difference between the TED Talks that go viral, you know, where like 50 million people watch them and those that don't do as well is practice and rehearsing. And so I, I really beat into students and to people who love preaching the importance of practice and rehearsing. And then you have naysayers who say, well, that seems so like you're not allowing the spirit to work. And my rebuttal is always, oh, so you don't want your choirs to rehearse? <laughs> um, you, you, don't, you don't want your, your praise band to rehearse? Oh, no, no, they should rehearse. Well, why shouldn't people expect us and our medium to rehearse? They rehearse because they want to be at the best they can be. Doesn't mean the spirit's not going to be involved. It will be, but you're a much more prepared vessel for the spirit than, than you were if you didn't rehearse. So um, I think that's key. I probably on a sun, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I probably rehearsed my sermon at least a half a dozen times. And, and what I do is I, I script out my, my message. I basically prepare a script, a manuscript, and I basically memorize it. Now, I, I know that's a long way. That's kind of the long way to go, and it's the harder way. But for me, at least for me, and I don't say everybody should do it, but at least for me, that's the best way that I, uh, that I prepare to be at my best, at least for me. So because you have two things with preaching. You have connection with people and precision of language. In order to have both of those, uh, for me, I have to prepare a manuscript and clear out a path. So a lot of people will just preach from an outline. They have connections with people, but they lack precision in their language. And those who just read a manuscript and don't memorize it or internalize it, they have precision of language, but they're losing connection with people with eye contact. And so uh, I memorize the script. Yes, I allow places in the script for me to go if uh, something comes to mind and I need to say more about it. Uh, so I allow places for that, for there to be some spontaneity. But for the most part, I memorize the script and I rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it, rehearse it. Um, and again, it's just plain hard work of doing that. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why that, that like when you mentioned the storytelling, the, that, that it can be effective for folks. So. Yeah. And I found that the, the, the more, the more I rehearse, the more I have this, this thing that I know what I'm doing and can go from A to B to C to D to E, the t the tighter it is, the more I know it, the more I can let the spirit move. So I might have this random thought and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go that direction just for a second. But I know when I wander off that path, I know exactly that in between B and C is my wandering. I can go right back to C. So Absolutely. That, yeah. Amen, brother. I mean, there's an old saying, discipline in the study means freedom in the pulpit. Oh, yeah. And so, and, and it's true. And that's what people say is when they, you know, they poo-poo this idea. I say, listen, if you rehearse a sermon, you'll find there is such freedom because you know it like you know your heart. And so when, that, when you're more open and more courageous to be spontaneous because you know how to get back on the road. 
yeah. uh, that you that you've prepared for yourself. And so, amen, man. That's absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, well, are there, we're coming to our time of close. Uh, are there any final thoughts you'd want to give to preachers who are listening? You know, I think um, <clears throat> a couple things. One would be that, and this is coming more for, from an approach of, uh, you know, as one who, who teaches the, the preaching and, and thinking about the students, but I mean, we're all students. I would say one, uh, if you if you pastor a local church, don't make sure you keep preaching a priority, and make sure you communicate that to your church. That I, you know, the pulpit is the engine that drives the train of the church. I believe, and so as we all, all pass, all as pastors know, you know, people will monopolize your time, uh, and they will create your boundaries for you if you don't have any. And so it's important up front to emphasize the importance of preaching and that you need time to prepare sermons if you're going to feed and nourish your people. So um, don't let that slip. Don't allow that to become a lower priority. Uh, keep emphasizing that. Uh, the next thing I'd say, to especially the preachers starting out or preachers that are struggling uh, to find their voice, is to go back to what we said in the beginning, is... Um, to be the preacher God has called you to be. Yeah, we can learn a lot from other preachers and listen to preachers we like and emulate some of the things they do, which is good. But God called you to preach like you. you know, preaching is truth through personality. And so um, find that place of conviction and find your own voice and, and preach from there. Uh, I guess that's the first, the first couple of things that come to mind yeah. that I would leave preachers with. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's more, but I, I know, uh, you know, I don't want to, uh, people aren't going to listen to me for two hours. So <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, Charlie, thank you. Um, thank you for coming Absolutely. on, for sharing your yeah. wisdom and um, just sharing your gift of preaching in your heart and, and your conviction. Um, it's a gift. Um, I, I think I have one more question. And then, uh, yeah, absolutely. What what is I'm keeping a, a list of books uh, that preachers have been impacted by, and, and I wonder what is one book that's had an impact on you the last six months, whether it be a a novel, whether it be a leadership book, whether it be a somebody said a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> uh, what's right. been that well, one book? I, I would say, uh, or it's or it's a it's a streaming series, right? Um, which, by the way, Yellowstone is another awesome show on the level of Ozark, if you haven't seen that. No, um, okay. Yeah, seriously, Yellowstone is amazing. But um, a book, one book that has been very significant for me is called Uproar. There is to say that I to the, the, the last name of the author totally escapes me. Um, and it may come to me in a second, but he is a family systems theory expert. Uh, and some of you, some of us preachers are familiar with that uh, concept through seminary, a family systems approach to church as an organism, as a family. But he wrote it. It was kind of a prophetic book. He wrote it before COVID hit. But the book deals with how to be a leader leading a church in crisis, leading a church through a lot of change and uh, how to have a non-anxious presence through that. And so it's called Uproar. 
And again, I forget the yeah. name of the author. But Peter it's, it's Stein? Great... Steink? Yeah. Steinke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yes. Steinke. And he's, okay. he's written other books on family systems theory, but it's been a, it's been a very helpful book and, and, and a very comforting book because it explains why certain behave, why certain people behave the way they do uh, in crisis and COVID, for yeah. example, why you have this mean person who's all of a sudden acted totally different than they normally acted before. Huh. Um, and they, it explains why and how to lead through that. So that, that would be, oh, that would book. be an example of a good book. So what a, what you know. a, what a good book. Yeah. Well, Charlie, again, thank you for spending the time. And uh, this, is, you, this has been a lot of fun. This. Oh yeah. I could, I, we could talk all day about yeah. this. I love it. Thanks for sharing your passion too. And for doing this, this is yeah. really helpful. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, good to talk with you and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man.